swimmers, and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Sperling, and each week I talk to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. On today's podcast, I sat down with US master swimmer and Champions Mojo podcast host, Kelly Pallas. What I loved about this chat was the way Kelly shared her insights into her own master swimming and recovery from injury and illness, but also how she got into podcasting and why she enjoys it so much. It's always wonderful speaking to another swimming tragic, and Kelly was no exception to the rule. And if you want to know how to swim a really fast 1500 meter race, Kelly has some great advice. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Danielle. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're really welcome. Did you get a swim in today? Actually, no, it's a big holiday here in the States. It's the um, happy birthday, America, 4th of July weekend. So the pools are all closed. (laughs) Oh, no, that's a pity. So when was the last swim that you had? (laughs) Yesterday morning. Oh, lovely. And where, where is that pool based? Well, I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Florida. And it's, it's the, uh, it's the Sherwood park pool here in Melbourne, Florida. And that's where our masters swim team is. I'm part of the Melbourne Mahi masters swim Melbourne. Nice. And as you know, I'm part of the Malvern Marlins in Melbourne. I love the way that we say Melbourne differently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you have the beautiful accent. I'm just, I'm just saying it. Melbourne. <laughs> you say Melbourne, it's beautiful. It's very English. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to start um, today by telling our listeners um, how we met. We're both two of the lone voices, female voices in swimming podcasting. Um, and I was thrilled when you you reached out and you know, talked about the idea of us coming on each other's podcast and spreading our passion for swimming, which I think um is, is great in the world of podcasting to have two females out there. Tell us how you came up with the idea of your Champions Mojo podcast. So like you, I, um, I just love swimming so much at all levels, you know, from masters to the Olympians. And really, strangely, we started our podcast a year before COVID. And I think a lot of people went into COVID and started podcasts. But Uh, In the U.S., we did not have maybe five podcasts in in swimming. And there were just Swim Swam didn't have a podcast. Brett Hawk didn't have a podcast. The only podcast out there in the swimming community was um, the USA Swimming. And so I was like, I want to hear from these Olympic swimmers on a podcast. So I started listening to podcasts and there wasn't a swimming podcast. So I um, decided... I needed to start a podcast to talk to these swimmers. So that's how it came about. And then right out of the gate, we got, you know, in our first 50 shows, we probably got 30 Olympic gold medalists for the U S and it just blossomed from there. Yeah. That's amazing. I know when I first started my podcast, as I've spoken to you off air, um, yours was one of the ones I listened to. And then I listened to Brett Hawks and there's another one in Australia um, off the blocks podcast. Um, And I wanted to listen to master's podcast I mean people you know talk to master swimmers and so that's how I sort of started but I I love the fact that um we're out there and we're talking to these people and bringing those stories to all the swimmers out there and whether they're a registered master swimmer or not they are very interested in hearing what champions do 
absolutely no doubt about it. Is that what you find as well? Yes. And I love your podcast and I found it. And now Danielle, do you know how many podcasts, swimming podcasts there are uh, on chartable for Apple? Do you know how many there are? No, I don't actually. There are 97 97 podcasts, 97 (laughs) swimming podcasts and torpedo swim talk and champions mojo are often in the top 10 in the world. So that is really cool. And of the 97, probably about 2% are, are hosted by women. Yes. Go the girls. Yay. Go girls. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) What, what's the, I, I don't want to put you on the spot by asking you a favorite guest, but what sort of, what, what three people, if you want to sort of spread the love, have you enjoyed speaking to the most over your podcast journey? Yeah, it's so tough. Um, you know, we're up to 160 shows now. So I, I think um, it would be a blend of swimmers. And we do, you, I, I love that you talk a lot about the X's and O's of swimming. Like I want to hear how many hundreds are they doing on this interval or how many times are they swimming a week? And we do a little bit more of the um, kind of the mojo, like what is it that made you a champion? And we do all walks of life. So we've interviewed, um, you know, kind of movie stars and activists. We've interviewed celebrities. We've interviewed Olympic champions in swimming, Olympic champions in triathlon. So a different um, sport. So I, I think right off the bat, Lewis Pugh, would be the number one. Um, if you don't know Lewis Pugh, he has, um, he swum in all, all, um, of the oceans, but he's the ice water swimmer. So he swum a thousand meters in 29 degree water. His interview just blew me away. I mean, he just like, he's a super human on this planet. And when I interviewed him, I just, it raised me up. It really raised me up. That Those three just stand out for me as like, wow, they changed my life. Yeah, I think that's interesting, those three that you've picked out because they're very inspirational stories that you you can use those stories to motivate yourself in your in your own life, in your own swimming. And I think that's what people love about podcasts. They can um, use that to sort of enrich their own life as well. Yes, for sure. Now, let's take a look at your personal swimming because I know you don't probably get a chance to talk about this so much, but you are... Um, um, a very well-recognized, super successful master swimmer with four number one FINA uh, rankings last year alone. And I know that you have a a like for long distance swimming, particularly 1,500 yards or 1,500 meters. Tell us why you chose to swim that long, those long distance or longer distance swims. What do you like about them so much? I just, I love the test that it's, it's, it's a real battle. You know, it's, um, it's such a tough race to swim a mile. I also like that it is a mile, you know, um, the 1500, the 800 meters and the 1500 meters are my favorite races. And I love that point where you get to in the middle where you're, you're talking to yourself, you know, can I hold this? Do I, should I back off? This is so painful. So it's really just a test. And it's also something that you can say, you know, I did this time in the mile when I was this age, and now I'm doing this time. And it's, it's easily comparable in the world, you know? Um, so I, I like, I like the test of it. And it also makes practices more, 
um, easy to develop, you know, hey, I'm going to do this many 50s or this many hundreds at a certain pace to try to achieve that. So I, I believe you can set your goal time for a mile or a 1500 and say, if this is the time that I want to do in the, in the 1500, then I need to do this kind of a set in practice. So what, what kind of a set would you do in practice if you had that time in your mind? Give us a bit of an example. Yes. So I think one of the things why I've been able to stay very fast in, in the 1500 is because I do not swim slow. I will not swim a pace slower than what I want to go. So for example, if one wants to hold a 20 minute flat 1500 meter swim. So if you know, you're out there listening and you're a triathlete or you're a master swimmer and you want to break 20 minutes in the 1500, then you need to be holding 40 seconds per 50 meters. So that means that when I'm doing a set in practice, that until I can hold 150 at, you know, 38 or, or 40, then I'm going to go to two and then I'm going to go to 10 and then I'm going to go to 60, you know, because it's 60 fifties to swim a 1500. So if I need to initially take a minute between those to do that, then I'll do that. And then I'll back it up to now, do I need 50 seconds between those to do that? And then do I need 30 seconds? And then when I get to the point where I can hold and I, I won't swim 60 fifties, but I will swim or I'm sorry. 30 fifties, not six, 60 fifties, but, um, I'm thinking short course meters. Um, but it's 1500 meters, which is 30 lengths. So I won't swim 30 fifties. Uh, you know, I won't swim the entire distance, but I'll swim. If I can do half of that, half of the distance. So if I'm training for an 800 or I'm training for a 1500, but if I can do half of the distance with 10 seconds rest in between each 50 at my race pace, then I know when I get to the meet, I can hold that time. So, you know, when I first start out, like everybody, I came out of COVID three years completely off. I had not swum based, based on a shoulder injury. I'd been out of the water already for about a year and a half. Then COVID came. And then when I could go back, I had, you know, couldn't, no pools were open. So then I had three years off. So when I got back, you better believe I couldn't hold, I couldn't even hold 150 at 40. So then I like, okay, well, today I'm going to do two fifties or today I'm going to do eight fifties on a minute at 40. And that killed me, you know, and then, and <laughs> yeah. now I'm up to the point where I, I can do 30 fifties with 10 seconds rest and hold them all at 39 or 40. Yeah, that, that's amazing. Well, I love that that piece of advice. That's I think a lot of people don't swim at race pace. And I think a lot of people think as you increase the distance or your, your longer distance swims that they pull back on that intensity. So it's really interesting to hear that you have that perspective. And I think that's great advice for everyone listening. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's you know, I, I'm a certified master's coach as well. And that is what, you know, a lot of people do come up to me. How can I get faster in the mile? Especially, you know, people who are triathletes, or even if you're trying to break 30 minutes in your first mile, or you're trying to break 15 minutes, whatever it is, you, one must swim at race pace. You just, it's slow, sloppy swimming doesn't cut it. It's just, yes. 
I'm a big fan of the American swimmer, Michael Andrew, um, who does, he's famous for his USRPT, which is ultra short race pace training. Now I don't do ultra short race pace training, but I do race pace training all the time. And then I'll do that as well. You know, my, my 200 is very fast. Um, my hundred is pretty fast, but I also believe that one has to have speed to be a good 1500 swimmer. Like you can, you know, my hundred meter long course, um, you know, in my last age group, I went 106 um, long course. And in this age group, I've gone and I'm in the 60 to 64, I've gone 108 long course. So um, I think that's uh, important to have that because if I want to hold 120s for the hundreds, my best time in the 100 meter free can't be a 115 because you can't hold that. You can only hold a percentage of your all out pace. So you've got to start with speed and then add that. And you can do this race pace with any of those distances. So you can do it with the, the, you can break a hundred down into 25s. You can break a 200 down into fifties. So whatever that goal is for the two, the four, the eight, the 1500, I just say, what 50 do I need to hold? And then I, I work on that. I love that. Do you, do you find, I know you swim, you train in short course yards. Do you find it difficult to train in that? And then go and compete in long course meters? What, what's the difference in the way you approach a, a 1500 race when you're doing that kind of difference in your training? So, yeah, I do most of my training is short course, which means a lot of turns, which I think turns are brutally hard on, on me, on anybody, you know, you, cause I try to do them like, you know, you, you see the, the Olympians doing. So I try to go in, I try to do a dolphin or, or two off the wall and hold my breath. And so turns are very difficult. So in a, in a 1650, which is the equivalent of a 1500, a 1650 yards is the equivalent of 1500, you know, it's 66 lengths. So that's a lot of turns. And so when I'm training short course, it's way tougher to do all those turns. So when I get to a long course pool, I'm like, Oh, it's great. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful because I'm more rested. I, my, I don't have to stop my, my, um, momentum when I get to a wall. So yeah, I, I think training short course is harder than training long course. So when I switch from short course to long course, I think it gives me an advantage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's a really good perspective. How do you stop your mind wandering during, well, I suppose during a race, but during training, because I think um, being intent and in the moment is really important. And I find when I do that kind of longer distance training, my mind starts wandering to a song or um, what, I, what I'm going to cook for dinner. How do you keep your mind focused in on the job? Yeah. Well, I think having those time goals keeps you focused because, you know, if you know you you're trying to hit a certain time on each one of those pace, you know, um, swims, then I'm really thinking, um, about the process. And, and I think that is a key that I've learned from all the people that I've interviewed is, is stay in the process and not in the result and not in, you know, what Natalie Coughlin, I don't know if you know her, but she's one of the mm-hmm. top Olympians we've ever had. She said that, you know, one of the, one of her best pieces of advice was don't, when you're at practice, be in practice, be there, think about the turn, the dolphin, the streamlines, the, where your hand is placed, how much you're kicking, how much you're pulling. So I really, to in 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 order not to get in pain, I'll think. Okay, I'm. Of course, I'm initially going to have 
oh my gosh, this hurts. I'm in pain. But then I'll think, all right, catch as much water as I can finish at the hip, get my elbow up, get my head down, get my, you know, breathing into a place where, you know, breathe out through my nose. Uh, you know, so I think that is really important to think about what you're doing with and not wander away. I think that's one of the keys that champions have is that they're, they're really thinking about the process and not the outcome. What, um, what attracted you to master swimming? I know we'll, we'll talk about your earlier career in a moment, but what, what brought you to master swimming? I find that a lot of master swimmers have unfinished business. So uh, I feel yes. like I had a good college career, a good, you know, youth career in, in our, um, you know, in America, college swimming is huge. And I, I, qualified for Olympic trials. The highest that I ever finished at NCAAs was ninth, um, which is, we always say the NCAA championships here in the U S is almost as competitive as our Olympic trials, uh, because you've got all, everybody from all the other countries, you've got your best Americans, and then you've got your best people from other countries at your NCAA. So there are women that will, you know, finish fifth in our, or fifth or eighth or 10th in our, NCAAs and they'll represent their country in the Olympics and others. So uh, my senior year of college, I got mono and that really wiped me out. I, I did not swim well my senior year of college, nor did, I, and I was qualified for the Olympic trials here in the U.S. to go to um, 1984 Olympic trials, but I, I never recovered from mono in that segment of my graduating from college and going to Olympic trials. So I feel like I was just kind of, I felt like I still had some competitive drive and I like to race and I like to train. And so that, uh, when I saw masters, I thought, Hey, this is, this is going to be fun. And I can, you know, I can still try to set some goals and achieve them. How did you have a big gap in between college and starting masters or did you go straight into it? Well, I did other things. I was a triathlete right out of college because I loved running as well. And so um, I always have been kind of in touch with the water, but not definitely after after college, you know, where we were swimming up to 10,000 meters to 20,000 meters a day. I mean, I was in that group of endurance swimmers back in the 80s. And so I needed a big break. So I got into running a lot um, and I probably took off 10 years of swimming. And then I, my first master's meet was when I was 32. And that was, that was, you know, that was the first time I got back into master's. So 30 years ago, but I was 32. So I took 10 years off from, you know, the end of my college to that. And, and interestingly, um, my master's, I have a consistent pattern of inconsistency. So, yeah. So I will, I will usually only swim the first two years of an age group for masters. So I swim, you know, when I'm 30 to 32, when I'm 35 to 37, also when I'm 40 to 42, if you look at my results in the U S database, I take off two years. And I think that has actually saved my shoulders because I don't think if I had swum all those years that I, it's just, that's just my theory. Yes. And during those two years, I'm, 
pretty much of a slop. It's really weird. And I, and I like the, I like the challenge of getting back in shape. Yes. I, lo- I love that. What kind of shoulder injury did you have? Was it bursitis or an overuse? So, injury? yeah. So I, I love telling my shoulder injury stories because <laughs> my, um, my shoulders, both of them having done 20,000 meters, um, you know, in, in my youth and swum so much distance and so at such a high level, um, my shoulders, I was diagnosed with two torn rotator cuffs. So one in each shoulder, this was on and off throughout my life. I've had shoulder pain, pain, but never to the point where I was completely out of it until three and a half years ago. And I had confirmed by MRI um, that I had two torn rotator cuffs and an impingement in my left shoulder. And I couldn't, Danielle, I couldn't raise my arm past my shoulder. I couldn't sleep. I certainly couldn't swim. I couldn't even make the swimming motion with my arms out of the water. So I had known a lot of swimmers, friends that had gone for shoulder surgery, but I did not want to have shoulder surgery. That was just, I just didn't want to have it. But I, so I scoured the internet and I found uh, Dr. John Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, and he is a retired orthopedic surgeon, and he's written a book called um, Hanging to Heal Your Shoulders. I, I actually, it's so important. I've, I have told so many people about this that on our website, championsmojo.com, there is a tab called resources, and there's a tab called shoulder health. So it's got literally the video from this doctor. It's got the video from um, the rehab people, the book, my story. It's it's very concise and tons of swimmers know my story. So they've so I started this protocol of hanging um, three years ago with, with my shoulders. And Dr. Kirsch believes that you can actually completely remodel your tears and your shoulder and your rotator cuffs by hanging. And it's not easy. So you, you hang, um, up to about 10 minutes a day. So I still do this, you know, three to three or four days a week. You just get a, you know, a pull-up bar and you hang, I hang 30 seconds on 30 seconds off and I'll do a set of five and then take a break. Then I'll do another set of five and I'll work up to maybe 20, rounds of that three days a week. And then there are a few little exercises you do afterwards, which aren't, you get a can of soup in each hand and you do some, some arm raises after you do that. But so this was three and a half years ago when I was in so much pain and had confirmed rotator cuff tears with, you know, MRI, I did this for about six weeks and did a second round of MRIs. My rotator cuffs were healed and my impingement was massively improved. And so I, that was three years ago and I've been back in the water. And since that time, you know, I built up to, you know, four world number ones last year and eight us number ones and lots of records for my age group in, in doing this shoulder, but I have to do the shoulder hanging consistently to keep my shoulders healthy. That's amazing. I've never heard of that technique before. Does, does he recommend pull-ups as well, or is it just hanging? No, hanging, 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 only. hanging. Right. Yes. 
Wow, that's great. We'll have to have a look at that. And everyone listening needs to go and have a look at that and keep their shoulders nice and healthy. Hello, friends. I'm Kelly Palace, host of the Champions Mojo podcast. I'm a listener and fan of Torpedo Swim Talk. And if you're looking for another top-ranked swimming podcast to give you your weekly inspiration, I invite you to check out my show, The Champions Mojo Podcast. We bring you the mojo from top champions. You can find us on all podcast platforms or at championsmojo.com. Let's have a bit of a talk about your college swimming career. I know you were um, at the University of North Carolina. Were you there on a swimming scholarship? Yes, but it was North Carolina State. North so Carolina State. there are yeah. two. Um, each most states have a, a university of that state, and then uh, the state, and then a, it's called like North Carolina State. So I was with the North Carolina State Wolfpack, and I got a I got a full swimming scholarship there, and that's a huge motivator. I think that's probably why in the U.S. Um, college swimming is so big because. Hey, if you're going to get your entire university paid for, then you want to be competitive. You really strive, you know, so I, you know, I, I got into swimming like any, any probably kid in the U S where I started, um, you know, in, in little summer league, and then you play, you, you do age group and then, and you know, swim in high school. And so my parents had put in a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of money, and I wanted to pay them back for by getting a college scholarship. So I swam there. Um, we were a top ten program in the in the country, so very competitive. In fact, um, even though I was an Olympic trials qualifier, I was the third fastest miler on our team. So it wasn't even like I was some star. I was just, you know, they were just so good that I went there because I wanted to swim with these really great milers. Um, Amy Lepping and Trisha Butcher were the two women that were in front of me. And I figured if, you know, if I can go train, cause training with you being a distance swimmer, I mean, you look at Katie Ledecky went to university of Florida to train with, um, you know, Kieran Smith and Bobby Fink. That's smart because it just makes it so much better. So, uh, I just, you know, I loved swimming there and, you know, I scored when you're, when you'd score in the top 16 at NCAAs, you, the one through eight is all American and one through or nine through 16 is uh, all American honorable mentions. So, um, that was fun. And, and it is the best team environment that I've ever seen anywhere. And all swimmers will tell you that, that yeah. you're just, you're really competing as a team. So every point counts. And of course I was on relays as well. The, the four by eight. Uh, 200 relay being a distance person, but um, yeah. So, and, and I think we were, we were definitely like in the top eight in that one. So, um, so yeah, so college swimming is really fun and, and the best coaches are in college. Well, I, l- let me say that most of the best coaches are in college. Obviously we're going to have some age groups, but college positions for coaches pay the highest. They get the best facilities. They get the best swimmers. So, um, I had a great swim coach there too. So that was another thing like, wow, I want to go swim for this great swim coach. Yeah. Who was the coach that you had? Don Easterling. Okay. He's re- he's long retired now, but he, he was, you know, he had several, you know, several Olympians, multiple, you know, championship titles and, um, was a real, 
a real taskmaster. I, yes. I mean, today, today he would probably maybe not be as popular because he did not take any, any grief. I, I remember one day doing, um, being assigned 10, eight hundreds. Yeah, it was 10, eight hundreds with 30 seconds rest in between. And you had to hit, you know, like literally like a senior national qualifying time on, on the last one. And I just, I, I have, my goggles were just filled with tears because I was so in so much pain. (laughs) (laughs) I know I look back at the, some of those training sessions of the eighties and compare them to today. There's, there's just no way that that kind of um, sort of poolside demeanor of a lot of the coaches then would actually float with, um, you know, the, the younger kids today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's good. I mean, it's good that it, it's it's evolved and it's it's a lot more um, of a partnership. Whereas I suppose when you were swimming, when I was swimming, it was the coach said and did every, and you just followed it, no question asked, no questions asked, no questions asked. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I think it's also interesting, um, just going back to what you mentioned about college, just that sense of team. And you can tell from an outsider looking in that um, US college teams have such a, a huge support of each other. And it's really evident when you get your US Olympic team over sort of obviously at, like at the Worlds, for instance, a few weeks ago, how um, how much they all support each other. And I think particularly in Australia, ours come together when they get to training camp. Um, I feel like the American team has that sort of background in supporting each other because of the college system. Is that something that that you sort of see as well and recognise? Definitely. I think that's a great observation. Like, you know, I just attended our um, women's NCAA championship and the final of the women's 100-yard backstroke was uh just a like our national team you know it was like <laughs> the, the Walsh sister when I uh you know Ryan White Catherine Burkoff you know it was like these top women that all they're on different teams but at the end of the day they are friendly you know they're all very supportive they they want to beat each other Reagan Smith so Reagan Smith Ryan White Catherine Burkoff um Alex Walsh and, um, or no Gretchen Walsh, Alex is the, her older sister, um, we're all in there together and I'm probably leaving someone out. And all of these women are on our national team and they're there at NCAAs together. And again, though they're swimming for different teams, once they got out, they were like, you know, very friendly. So yeah, as a little aside, not that I wanted to mention the whole Leah Thomas drama, but I love the article that you wrote for Swimming World, just to the other swimmers that were going to be at the NCAA championships and letting them or reminding them that they needed to do, think about their own swimming and be positive and don't worry about the, all the noise that's around them. That was a really poignant, poignant and, um, sort of insightful article. And I, I wondered how it came about that you wrote that for Swimming World. Well, I really saw there was so much noise and I, I got actually a lot of grief from both sides for that article. So I had people, right. I had people that felt like I should have taken a stand one way or the other. And I didn't want to do that. I just, and I don't want to do that here, but I, why I wrote that was because, um, 
I felt like that that was what I needed to hear at that age. Like, you know, even though it was a little Pollyannic, it was still no matter what is happening in the world around you when you're at a meet, the only thing that you can control is your lane, just your lane. And that was kind of what I wrote. And yes. yeah. And that was, you know, uh, a lot, I got a lot of good feedback, but I got some feedback that people thought that I should have said something different. Yeah. Either no, I, way. So. I liked, I liked that you didn't, I liked that you took it away from what was going on. There was enough noise already. And the fact that you were focusing in on all the other swimmers and maybe they were a little bit forgotten during that process. So I think it was great that they maybe got some, some positive sort of not feedback, but some positive thoughts around just going honing back in on themselves. So yeah, I think thank you on their behalf for writing that. I loved it. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Back to your swimming though. Give us a typical look at your training week. So how many times do you get in the water? What else do you do outside of the water that makes you so successful? So um, I swim for the first time in my life, we finally have a master's team in, in Melbourne, Florida. Um, our team is only, I think, was it two years or three years? Either I only, I've only been swimming with this team for one year. So, um, but either they're, they're only two years old or three years old. And like I, we already established, I was injured and, and had COVID before no, I didn't have COVID, but you know, COVID closed the pool. So I swim with the team about three to four days a week. Um, and we typically go about 3000 meters. And in that, in that, um, week, one day is super quality where, um, you know, we'll do something that's very speedy with a lot of rest, a lot, then another day might be a lot of drills. And then another day, usually the middle of the week is something that's very challenging, short rest with those hard intervals that I'm trying to meet and then whatever was kind of missing. And, and I believe in racing a lot. I, I think the more swim meets you can get in, the better you do. It just gives you that number one, you're swimming fast. Okay. So you're swimming at that race. So maybe every other weekend, I will swim in a meet, even if it's like a mock meet. My husband is a swimmer too. Like we'll just go down to the pool and we'll say, okay, this is a meet. We're going to swim these times. Or we'll, if there's not a master's meet, we're fortunate to be in Florida because there are a lot of, of master's meets in Florida uh, because of our weather. And, uh, but we'll also swim USA meets. So, you know, like we're members of the, the kids meets. So we will swim you know, be, we'll be the old people swimming with young kids. And so we do meets on the weekend. So I would say, you know, three days a week of about three, 3,000 to 3,500, and then a meet on the weekend. Oh, that's great. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then as far as strength training or lifting, I do that twice a week inconsistently. I try to do it twice a week, but I don't, but I feel like the hanging that I do is really good structure for the upper body. And I do also, um, bands like, you know, um, for my shoulders and and some therabands. Um, and then I'll do a little yoga, maybe, maybe like once a week, a very gentle stretching. 
Yeah. How, how many days do you do this, the hanging? Is that an everyday thing? That's three days a week, minimally, a week. sometimes yep. four days a week. I won't do them back to back days, but definitely I, I would say every other day, just so however many days that comes out a week, but I definitely do the hanging every other day. Yeah. Now, if I have a meet, I won't do it a couple of days before the meet because it's tiring. Yes. Yeah. And did you have to, when you started that, because I back to the hanging, did you start it uh, yes. as an, were you assisted? Like, did you put your foot on a, a yes, yes. You, yes. It's, yeah. oh, it's a total build. You have to build yeah. into it like a step stool or, um, you know, if you have a, a, one of those bars that goes over the door, you can use your, but, and, and you might, might start with four sets of 15 seconds with assisted and then, oh yeah, it takes a long time to build up to what I'm doing. It's yes. definitely. And if you've got shoulder pain, it's going to hurt. And he actually, the doctor actually says that, that it will even hurt and it will, because you're, you're moving things in there. Um, good question. Yeah. Yeah. I really, um, really want to give that a go. I've got, as I mentioned to you before, I, I had bursitis and impingement in my shoulder and it's not gone, but I, I do manage it, but not through hanging. Although I'm trying desperately to get myself into the position to do a pull-up, <laughs> which I can't yeah. do unassisted. So I would do a, an assisted pull-up with a, a band or, or one of the um, assisted pull-up machines. But I think, and sometimes I do hang when I first go to the gym, when I'm sort of activating, probably three seconds would be <laughs> three or four seconds yes. is all I can do. Yeah. So that's yeah. amazing that you can hold it for 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm excited for you to try this, Danielle, because yeah. I'd love to hear your progress on your shoulder mm -hmm. and then you could work into pull-ups. I really yes. think like if you can get that, um, and also the, this is a, really good forearm strengthener. And there, you know, there's a lot of power in that, you know, early vertical forearm. I mean, yes. the word forearm is in that. And so you're using your forearms a lot in the hanging. Yeah, absolutely. You uh, competed at the recent spring nationals in Texas, San Antonio, yeah. Texas. Were you happy with your races there? Oh, I don't know. I wrote another swimming world ed editorial. I don't know if you saw it. I was really frustrated that they had the the mile and the thousand on the same day. So uh -huh. just because I really wanted to swim both of those events, usually they'll have them on different days of the meet or uh, some, some of our national setup have them on the first day of the meet and the last day, or they'll say, you cannot swim both of them. You can only swim one, but for, oh. for whatever reason, they allowed you to swim both on the same day, but they mixed us in with the men. And the San Antonio pool, I don't know if you heard this or not, was very wavy for whatever reason, there was no bulkhead in the middle of the two pools. So it was like a, like an open water wash. And I was in lane one, even though I was seated first in both of those events by a lot, I was in lane one in one event next to a bunch of men. The guy next to me was like six foot three and 250 pounds. And I dove in and he just took off and was just my, I, I just felt like I could never get into my rhythm. I, I still won. Um, I think, I, oh, I won the mile and I got second in the thousand because the person I was racing wasn't even in my heat. Um, so I, you know, I just swam the best I could in my group, but I like to race. And I think if they'd have put us like they did in all the other events. So the other swimmers, you know, the other events that I swam in, we got to race and, um, so I was happy when I got to race, I got to race in the 200. Um, there's a 
a lot of people there and I won that. Um, the 500, I got third in because I was, I do believe, even though I was seated first by a long shot, I was so exhausted from swimming 2,600 on the first day of the meet that it just, I just didn't feel good in my 500, but I was, you know, I was, I'm always happy with what I do. I really believe that, that I am. I just like, if I get third or I get first or I get 10th or I don't place at all. I, I love the, the ability to be there. You know, I'm a breast cancer survivor having been five years clear. One of, I, I know when I interview people, I ask, why do you swim? Uh, one of the reasons that I love to swim is it shows me that I'm healthy. You know, it just shows me like, maybe I'm not as healthy as if I'm, you know, was 21 years old, but if I can swim a mile and a thousand and a 500 and a 200 in the same meet, then that says that I'm healthy. So I really, I swim to show myself that I can get out of bed. I can go to workout and I can swim. That's one of the main reasons that, that it's just an indicator of health. So, um, so I'm always thrilled with what I do. Congratulations on, on getting through breast cancer. That's an, an amazing you. achievement. Thanks. And Thanks. obviously the swimming has helped in your mindset, but with your overall health as well. So that's wonderful that you can continue doing that. Yeah, it does. I think, I think being a swimmer helps us get through any illness or injury. We put that on our, you know, we say, okay, when I get over this, boy, I'm going to get back in the pool. And yes. that's what I did. Yeah, I think that's definitely a driving force. I mean, as I mentioned to you before, I've had a few little health issues as well. And on top of that, I broke my ankle and I had pneumonia and there's been a few obstacles. But the whole time, the thing that always gets me through is thinking, right, in eight weeks time when I've recovered, I'll be back in the water and I'm just going to take it easy and then I'm, I'm going to build up from there. And I think as Masters athletes, that is that is sort of part and parcel of, of being a master's athlete. There are going to be health issues and, and obstacles and work-life balance getting in the way. And I think as long as you still have that love of the water and the feeling that it brings you when you get in, you'll always continue going back to swimming. Absolutely. I, I think that is, we have to, as master's athletes, we have to put our egos aside because most of us, well, I think all of us. So you either come to master swimming as someone who has a history of being a great swimmer and you have to say, oh, I'm not doing those times. I'm not going to swim. Or you come to master swimming as somebody who's brand new and you don't want to, you don't want to put a time up because you think, oh, that's going to be a horrible time compared to somebody who swam a lot, or you've been off for a long time and you're, you're afraid of what you might do after this long break. So I think if we can just put our egos aside and say, <laughs> you know, I interviewed Rick Walker from the Sarasota Sharks, and he's a very esteemed coach. And he said, the truth is nobody's really watching you. I mean, the truth is like, it's like, there's just like, really, you're just doing it for your own fun. And you're, he's like, nobody, he says, I tell new master swimmers, nobody's really watching you. It's, there's just no pressure. And so I believe that. And, and I have gotten slower and slower and slower in every single age group. And if I was trying to say, oh, you know, I'm not as fast as I was. And I've heard so many people say that, that I wouldn't be swimming and I would miss out on so much joy. I love that, Kelly. I really do. Because it is hard coming from that background in swimming, leaving your ego at the door and going and racing and putting yourself out there. And you're never going to be as fast as you were. 
and even as fast as you were as a master swimmer a year or two ago. So yep. I think that's really sage advice and I, I love that. Now, I just like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast a bit of a deep dive five, five sort of questions, a swimming snapshot of your swimming okay. and where it's at at the moment. First one is favorite pool that you've ever swum in. Coral Springs, Florida. It's just stunning. It's really a beautiful pool. They have a 25 meter separate pool. They have a diving well. They have a 50 meter pool. It's where Dara Torres trained um, when she was getting ready to come back. And it's, it's just, it's just a stunningly beautiful pool. Nice. I'll have to put that on my list to visit. Yes. What is your favorite race day warm up? So it's either dry warm up, which my husband and I joke about, which is, you know, you just swing your arms, you jump up and down and you don't have any warm up. You're just ready to go. Uh, and you don't warm up at all. And sometimes you have to do that, like at a world championship or when you're late or you can't get your tech suit on or whatever, or generally I do a minimum of, of a 400 warm up, and then I'll do a 200, a bunch of drills and kicks. And then I do four fifties of whatever pace I'm trying to hold for that very first race. Oh, and then like a hundred easy. Yeah. Yes. When so I'd do, say about eight, 800. And when you do the dry land warm up, if you do that, what, yeah. what do you do? Just a bit of sort of activation with the therapy. Yoga. I do a yoga. ton of yoga, like um, yoga moves, you know, I'll do down dog, a lot of down dogs, a lot of leg crosses, it band stretches, reaching down, reaching up final twists, but I will definitely do a full yoga, you know, cat cows and, you know, lots of stretching of the groin area for breaststroke, some arm swings, not terrible arm swings, but, and some great breathing. I I've, I've really been, um, understanding how important breathing is and just like breathing in through the nose and out through the nose and yeah, but, but definitely feeling very warmed up and ready to go. Which of, I mean, we're going off the track a little bit, but which of the two yeah. have you had more success with the dry land or the in-pool warm-up? I'm, I'm not as sold on the dry as my husband is, but my husband is pretty darn fast. And I mean, he's way faster than I am. And he only does the dry warm-up. He just oh, says gosh. that it, when he, you know, and people who get cold they're, you know, like he's not one of those people, but I, I can think of a couple of people that I know that do get cold and that's terrible. Like I would rather be really warm, then get into a really cold pool and then just be tight before you swim. Um, I think I've probably had equal success. Okay. You know, it's, it's crazy. I think that the, the most important part of that dry warm up is having your lungs be ready. Like, so doing some breathing, you know, some really deep breathing, opening your chest. If you've ever noticed Nathan Adrian standing behind the block, he's famous for putting his hands on the back of, you know, like the small of his back and you see him stretching his chest out and, and kind of lifting his head up. So I think getting your lungs ready is as important. And also, of course, that springing motion. I mean, you don't want to spring off the block and ah, pull a hamstring or something. So, um, but yeah, I, I feel like they're probably about as equal. What is your favorite pre-race meal? I am a very simple, I like bars. So I like cliff bars. I like something with a lot of carbs and a little bit of fiber, something not too fibrous, but cliff bars are my favorite. And I'll have that. I don't do caffeine except the morning of a swim meet, because I save that for that boost. 
So Mark and I deliberately, like we do not do caffeine at all during the week, but then, um, so a cup of only one cup, cause you don't want to be shaky, but you want to have that benefit about an hour before, um, my first swim, I'll have my cup of caffeine and it doesn't have to be coffee, but it could be a caffeinated, you know, um, sports drink. Cause they have those now, but, and then I'll have a, a bar about an hour and a half before I swim. And then during the meat entire way, I will nibble on a bar, holding off on the caffeine and bringing it in on race morning. Do you find that that lifts the, um, the heart rate up quite high? I don't feel like it, like it's my heart rate racing, but I, I feel like it wakes me up. What is your favorite freestyle drill? Fingertip drag. I just love fingertip drag, even though this is funny. I'm a straight armor. Like I swim freestyle with straight arms. If you think of Janet Evans or Leah Smith, that's what my stroke looks like. So why I enjoy fingertip drag, I don't really know. Maybe it's the first time my arms really get a break because I believe in relaxing through the recovery, but I just don't do it. Yeah. It could be to do with the shoulder rotation as well, because you have to really rotate to get your fingers dragging across the top of the water. What's your favorite go-to training set? It's got to be 10, 100s on a tough interval, like uh, when I'm in shape. So long course meters, I either like 10, 100s on 130, where I hold, you know, my, my pace that I'm trying to work on probably for 400, 800 or 1500, or I've been doing a lot of um, fins and paddles, because I think that gives you that quick turnover and it makes you uh, understand and prepare for how the speed you're going to feel. So, um, every Wednesday is our long course workout. So a couple of Wednesdays ago, we did 12 one hundreds on one thirty long course. And then the next week we did 14 one hundreds. Oh no. 12 one hundreds on one twenty long course with fins and paddles. Okay. And so I think that's about a balance. So I think when I put on fins and paddles, each hundred is about 10 seconds faster. So, and I'll do that short course or long course, but that's, that's, that's a milers go-to set. Yeah. No, I like that kind of set. That's uh, that's in yeah. my wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or the other one, which I made a bunch of people do with me the other day is like eight one hundreds on three minutes, you know, where you're really holding something fast. Yes. Oh, I like that. I'll have to give that a try as well. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's been lovely getting to um, to meet you in person. Oh, well, e-meet e- you, I suppose, or e-digitally <laughs> meet you um, and hearing about your swimming journey. It's been lovely. So thank you very much for giving us your time today. Thank you for having me. I love your podcast. Oh, thank you. And likewise. Okay. Thanks, Kelly. Take care. Thank you, Mark. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Kelly today. Don't forget to check out her Champions Mojo podcast, which is available on all podcast platforms. We'll put the link to the Champions Mojo info in the show notes of today's episode. And if you get a chance, I would love you to leave us a podcast review on whatever platform you listen on or even on our Facebook page. It really helps other swimmers find us. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.